The next hour will inform you on how cybersecurity is one of the most significant threats to our national security, as well as the battle that cybersecurity experts are undergoing every day on your behalf to protect you, your families, and your data. Welcome to Task Force 7 Radio with your host, the president and CEO of Task Force 7 Radio and Task Force 7 Technologies, George Reedus. Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode number 200 of Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. I'm Andy Pinello, pinch hitting for George Reedus. I want to emphasize that all opinions expressed in the show are my own and that of my present or past employers. I'll never disclose any sensitive intelligence or privilege to as a result of my current employment. And I'll never knowingly disclose any classified information related to any security clearances I presently hold or held in the past with the United States government. And nothing I say during the show should be construed as legal or financial advice. Before we get started, I want to remind everyone you can go online to the Cybersecurity Hub and get a recap of tonight's show and get other up-to-date cybersecurity breaking news at the very cool site, cshub.com. The Cybersecurity Hub is an online news source for global cybersecurity professionals and business leaders who leverage technology and services to secure their networks. The media professionals at the Cybersecurity Hub are dedicated to providing the latest industry news, thought leadership, and analysis in the cybersecurity space. So again, check out a recap of tonight's show and get other up-to-date cybersecurity breaking news. Go to the Cybersecurity Hub at cshub.com. That's the Cybersecurity Hub at cshub.com. Well, folks, I hope you're enjoying the Task Force 7 sneakers. I'm loving them. Super comfortable. Check them out again at aliveshoes.com slash brand slash TF7. They're meant to honor all those who run a crisis on a daily basis and recognize that everyone has their own personal crisis. Our hope is that when you see or wear the TF7s, you get the confidence to run to your own personal crisis and know you're not alone. At Task Force 7, we run a crisis together. Know you're part of the family. Check them out. Aliveshoes.com slash brand slash TF7. Well, we did it, folks. We made it to number 200. I'm super excited. Special thanks to all of you out there listening week in and week out and on, on playback and then all of our sponsors. We've reached an audience of in over 180 countries. Can't believe it. All right. Thanks for, thanks for listening, everybody. We'll, we'll keep it rolling. Well, I hope you enjoyed last week's episode, number 199, closing out the 100s with co-founder and president of Sotero, Paran Dardas. He joined me to discuss the past, current, and future state of data security. We talked about how security teams focus has shifted away from data security being at the core of their programs. And we talked about why that is and how Sotero is helping organizations bring data security front and center in a less complex manner. Parandar also talked about how Sotero is applying a zero trust framework for data and how that is helping companies reduce their exposure to ransomware and insider threats. We finished up the show with Parandar sharing his thoughts on leadership and building a company culture for success. All this and much, much more on episode 199 of Task Force 7 Radio. Well, I'm excited for tonight's show, folks. We've got a good friend of mine, real industry pioneer, John Loveland, joining me on the show tonight. John's a pioneer in information risk management disciplines. He founded companies and built practices in the areas of cyber risk, electronic discovery, regulatory compliance, and data privacy. He's the published author and frequent speaker and has testified as an expert at both the federal and state levels. John is currently the president of Arite. Arite is a cyber risk and response company with offices in US, Canada, and UK and Hyderabad, India. Company is a global leader in cybercrime response, having assisted thousands of companies recover from ransomware attacks. Arite works with global insurance carriers, law firms, small, medium, and middle market companies on proactive and reactive strategies for reducing cyber risk. 
prior to Airtay, John was the global head of cybersecurity strategy for Verizon's, Verizon's commercial security business. His history in cybersecurity goes back to 2001, where he founded an incident response firm in his hometown of Dallas, Texas. John currently lives in Washington, D.C. metro area with his wife and three children. It's my pleasure to introduce the president of Arite, my buddy, Mr. John Loveland. John, welcome to Task Force 7 Radio, buddy. Thanks, Andy. Good to have you, man. Good to reconnect. Yeah, it's so good to have you on the show. We're at episode 200, man. It's a big milestone for the show. I want to have a baller on tonight, and uh, I'm glad you were able to free up from your busy, new busy role over there at Arite. Uh, I know you guys are you're growing fast and expanding, and you're, you're just new to the seat, so... I appreciate you taking the time with us. So, Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Yeah, man. So, John, look, we, we spent a lot, ton of time together at Verizon, and I know uh, you were doing some really great work there, and uh, it's such a great place to work. But uh, I'd love, I got to ask, like, what made you decide to hop <laughs> off, off the Verizon train and, and move to, uh, you, know, um, you know, an IR firm? Look, you know, it's, Andy, it was, it's, uh, I had a great experience at Verizon, right? It's a, uh, as you know, it's a, it's an all-star team um, in in the broader security market, and they do a lot of great stuff and make it, you know, from a product development perspective and a, a research perspective, you know, it really is top quality firm. You know, but I've I've always uh, kind of fancied myself as an entrepreneur. I, I got into the space back in two thousand one. Uh, I started a breach response company in Dallas and uh, built that up and sold it and then went back to work for larger companies. But I, I'd always had an inkling to get back into uh, more of an entrepreneurial environment. And Arite is a firm that I've watched from uh, the sidelines for the last couple of years and have just been amazed by their spectacular growth. And uh, the time came where the firm was looking for additional leadership and someone to help kind of grow that business to the next level. And uh, they called and I answered. So it's it's been a um, it's been a great run so far. I've only been there about a month and a half, but I can tell you, you know, it's 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 got all of the energy and passion and excitement of uh, of a startup firm that you're well aware of. Uh, so I'm happy to be there. Man, congratulations! It's a, it's a really Thanks. great move. I mean, it, look, there, there's no shortage of uh, of need right now. You know, as the cybercrime landscape is just continuing to, to stay hot, and we don't anticipate that slowing down anytime soon. There, there's been, um, look, I've been getting asked to sit on, you know, a lot of like thought leadership panels around ransomware and mm-hmm. a lot of, um, you know, folks have been trying to figure out how do we, how do we solve for this? Um, and I know your company does a lot of response around, you know, ransomware investigations, you know, what's, what's it look like? Like, what's it looking like, you know, for these companies as they're getting hit? And, you know, what's the ground level truth as you guys are going in there? What are you seeing? Yeah, you know, it's interesting. Uh, you and I have been in this industry for some time. So we've seen kind of these waves of attacks come and go. And it seems like every new trend increases the awareness of the importance of cybersecurity, right? Or increases the awareness of the risk of cyber, uh, cybersecurity or cyber breach. And, you know, I, it, it seems until the last couple of years, small and medium businesses have been kind of below the radar screen for, for hackers, right? And, and so they've, they've been able to, you know, maintain their business uh, with relatively little security, right? So you have antivirus running on your, on your machines and you may have a firewall, um, but, you know, for the most part, you haven't had to worry about uh, 
you know, a cyber breach, large scale cyber breach. Ransomware has changed all that. You know, as you know, it's it's now um, it's readily available. The, the code is readily available for for um, anybody in the dark web to uh, to buy and execute. And it's created this just you know mass proliferation of of hackers and um, you know cyber criminals that are taking advantage of the lack of security in small medium businesses. And so they've you know been hit particularly hard. These companies have and. And we we see no sign of it, you know, slowing down. I mean, we're, you know, every month it seems like we're doing more and more of these ransomware investigations. Uh, and look, thank God for cyber insurance for a lot of these companies, because it's, it, it for a lot of these companies, that's the difference between, you know, a ransomware attack taking down their business and, uh, 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 you know, the alternative is to be able to stay in business, right? And, and get back up on your feet. So it's it's been very interesting to see, you know, really the um, sort of the nature of cybercrime go from, you know, as we historically have known it, sort of the you know large high profile attacks, large financial services institutions and like, down to mom and pop businesses, you know, dentist offices and and uh, small banks and state and local governments, right? It's I mean it's really rampant and it's it's everywhere. Yeah, it's it's interesting. I remember, you know, you just kind of tracking the insurance space a, a bit, um, having spent some time there, you know, you, you know, a few years ago when, you know, the whole NotPetya and, you know, the NSA toolkit got released, all that stuff, when all that was going down, you could start to see like ransomware was like the first systemic risk that was cross-border, cross-sector, which really shook up the cyber insurance market because they were able to, you know, they couldn't hedge their bet in one area of risk around the world in one you know one sector because everybody was getting hit so all of a sudden like all the all the actuarial models just got flipped around you know so it's it's interesting that you know I'm glad to see that they've you know, kind of level set and balanced there and 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 are still able to play a really critical role for these companies because there was a time where it was like man how bad is this going to get right <laughs> like for them on the insurance side yeah, man, you're right, and and it's it's interesting because, you know, a lot as you know, a lot of insurers kind of rushed into the market around cyber insurance um, several years ago. Um, it was, you know, it remains to be one of the hottest uh, areas of growth um, in the insurance market. But they also kind of went in with um, less understanding of of the risks, right? And um, I think that, you know, some firms were using more of a traditional. Uh, risk model to evaluate, you know, the, their portfolios. And, and as we know, you know, the risk in cyber insurance or the risk of cyber crime changes on a dime. And so those, those models need to be adjusted uh, for that kind of real-time dynamic. And I think, you know, the, the more forward-leaning firms uh, understand that and are, are moving in that direction. Uh, it, it's still, it's such a relatively small number of companies that have cyber insurance, right? I, I think the last number I saw was around 1% of the total firms globally have some, you know, form of cyber insurance. So uh, the, the, the market is, is vast for insurance companies. Um, and, it, you know, I, I really believe that until we get to kind of more effective risk modeling, more companies have cyber insurance, there's still a lot of, you know, risks that, remains unmitigated and uh, and non-transferred. So, yeah, I think insurance companies play a, a real critical role here, um, not only in helping to um, 
you know, transfer some of the risks that companies have, but then also, you know, helping to identify best practices, right? Because a lot of those best practices will ultimately help them, uh, you know, when implemented by the portfolio companies, help them reduce their risk. So it's interesting you mentioned that one percent. I actually didn't realize that was the stat. That's actually very scary. Um, yeah. About it. So, so I mean, look, you're a bit, you're a business person. You've been in the game a while. Like you've sold to you know every major enterprise you know you can think of. I feel like, and I love to get your take here. I feel like the small medium business has been neglected for a couple of reasons, and I want to get your opinion. One is large enterprises like product companies, they don't want to build the infrastructure. Like, you know, small medium businesses don't have the cash to buy like at the scale. So like the time, the ROI on the, 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 the sales cycle for a large financial services company is much better for the product company selling than it is in the small medium business market. Probably conversely, like how do you build a product in a cyber insurance space for the small medium business that they can afford where it's worth the risk and everything else? Like, what's your take on, you know, how do we serve that small, medium business market? Just having that large, you know, global enterprise view that you've had on the, on the product side. Yeah, you're so right, Andy. I, I, you know, I, it's, it's something that has been a challenge, not just for the, you know, the technology companies that are, you know, create products that help secure businesses, but also, you know, service providers, right? You know, it's, yeah, most of the of the businesses that provide managed security services were built for the large enterprise customers, and a lot of them are very you know bespoke and customized, and they don't scale very well down market. Um, so you're right; it's been kind of a neglected uh, part of the economy, frankly. I, I think that that's changing, and you know, ransomware, and again, you know, the insurance companies that are are writing policies are helping to <laughs> change the mindset and. Um, you know, change the the strategy for how you you know secure the small medium businesses, but it, it remains a challenge. And I, I think that it's um, a couple things come to mind. Right, one is that we've got to get to a an understanding of how do you develop an, a um, you know business case for these small medium businesses to invest more in cybersecurity. How do you offer products and solutions that are scaled, uh, you know, to meet their needs, right? That, you know, are not kind of enterprise grade, if you will, but still are sufficient to give them a level of security um, that's going to help prevent the majority of the attacks. And then to that end, how do you help help them prioritize where the risk areas are? And I think that that's where, you know, a more dynamic model or a more dynamic approach um, to helping uh, companies understand what what risks they're likely to face, and then being able to identify services and products that help them address that. You're never, I mean, as you and I know, we've been in this business long enough. There's no way to to eliminate all the risks, right? I mean, there's there's uh, you're, you're you're constantly trying to keep up with uh, you know cyber criminals that uh, have every incentive in the world to come up with new means and methods to access data and you know, penetrate into businesses. So you're never going to prevent everything. But if we can get to a point at which we've got sort of a base level of mitigation uh, that is quantifiable, and then for that, for that, you know, remaining risk that we, we can't mitigate, we transfer it, right? And we have uh, responsive insurance models that help create, um, you know, better, better coverage. Because right now, the other, the challenge we have right now is, 
you know, since we don't have those models, so those models are not, you know, widely adopted, it's very difficult for uh, insurance carriers to write bigger policies that cover, you know, the, 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 the amount of risk that's out there. And so they end up writing, you know, narrower policies. And as a result, there's still a lot of risk that go, remains untransferred. So we've got to come up with a more dynamic model. We've got to come up with uh, more effective ways of identifying, you know, what risks these companies are likely to face and then have scalable solutions that work in the small, medium business market, not just in the enterprise space. I love it, man. It's so good. All right, John, we're going we're gonna to transition to a commercial break. Well, hey, if you're a social media junkie, don't forget to follow TF7 Radio on your favorite social media platform. Follow us on Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook, and Instagram at searching at TF7 Radio, and you'll be connected to the extended TF7 family on your favorite social media platform. For inquiries regarding sponsoring the show or suggestions for topics or guests, please email George directly at george.redis at tf7radio.com. That's george.redis at tf7. That's the number seven, folks, radio.com. We're going to pause some quick messages from our sponsors, then we'll be right back with the president of Airtay, John Loveland. So whatever you do, don't go away. You're listening to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. As CISOs manage known malware attacks, they also contend with the unknown unknowns. With 24-7 hacker innovation, where do CISOs place their next security investment bet? Find the answer with Signet. With forums and public and private partnership dinners in Toronto, London, Singapore, Tokyo, and across the U.S., Synet is a mission-focused, purpose-driven global community advancing the next generation of cybersecurity solutions. As an entrepreneurial ecosystem super connector, Synet brings innovators, top cybersecurity professionals, solution providers, investors, and government executives into a collaborative alliance. Join Synet's global community to empower your organization and the industry to defeat hackers with cybersecurity's next generation of innovation. Learn more at Secure security-innovation.org or Google Synet, S-I-N-E-T. In today's interconnected world, digital transformation is taking us on a journey towards exciting new ways to work, live, and communicate. In business, staying out in front of the competition means pushing the boundaries of the status quo and exploring the possibilities of the future. However, pushing forward into this fast-changing digital landscape brings a new level of uncertainty and risk that must be measured, understood, and managed. By delivering state-of-the-art cyber risk analytics, X-Analytics is setting the standard to bring business clarity to the complex cyber threats organizations face each and every day. When it comes to understanding your financial exposure to cyber risk, trust what the global cyber insurance industry and Fortune 500 companies trust. Trust X-Analytics to guide you through the uncertainty into cyber risk clarity. For more information about X-Analytics, visit our website today at x-analytics.com. That's x-analytics.com. X-Analytics, setting the standard in the enterprise cyber risk management. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to Task Force 7 Radio with George Redis. If you'd like to find out more about our program, please visit the website at taskforce7radio.com. Again, that's taskforce7 with the number 7, radio.com. Now, back to this week's show. Here again is your host, 
George Ritas. Welcome back to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. We're back with president of Arite, John Loveland. Well, John, I want to pick up on that conversation around cyber insurance that we had at the top of the show. You know, the, the role of, of cyber insurance seems to be pretty clear and, and so needed in the market is obviously just continuing to expand. What's your take on, you know, the cyber insurance part of the insurance industry, you know, compared to like the rest of the insurance industry? Like, I feel like the cultures of the two are so different. Like what's been your experience, you know, kind of on both, seeing both sides of that? Yeah, it's it's so interesting and fascinating to see uh, an industry emerge from scratch, right? (laughs) Uh, I mean, you know, obviously, insurers, uh, they've developed very sophisticated risk models for, you know, traditional risk as we know it, right? So, you know, the example I like to give is, you know, you're a company that is uh, deciding whether or not you want to open a new distribution center in Miami. And, you know, the upside of that is you're going to be close to your customers. You're going to have some redundancy in your supply chain. Uh, You may even, you know, get access to markets that you hadn't been a part of as a result of opening this. You know, the risks are a hurricane, right? In addition to others, but you know, it's a big risk in Miami. And you know, there's a there's established models for for how you uh, quantify what that risk is and what that exposure is. Now, those models are changing with climate change, but but in general, there's you know good history and good actuarial data uh, for that. And so, you know, as a as a business owner, you'll take certain uh, actions to help mitigate that risk. You might you know build a hurricane-proof building. Hopefully, uh, you might put a, you know, another distribution center somewhere else that, you know, is not subject to, to hurricanes. And so you have that redundancy built in. Uh, and then what you can't mitigate, you transfer in the form of a, you know, a property and casualty uh, or other type of insurance policy to an insurance company. That model does not yet fully exist in cyber insurance, right? Uh, and, and what does that mean? That means that we don't have great data. Right, and that uh, we don't have good models for how we um, understand and 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 model risk. We don't have good, you know, historical data that is representative of the risk going forward. Um, you know, that's one major, you know, uh, challenge. Uh, the other is that you know those risks, the risks change frequently. Right, you know, uh, just think about what we saw last year with, you know, some of the supply chain attacks, solar winds, I could say, and things like that. You know, you had uh, a risk come out of the blue and. You know, that it, so you know, there has to be more dynamic modeling, I guess, at the point and more dynamic relationships with, you know, the insured um, uh, that allow uh, the insurance companies to uh, understand, quantify risks on the fly as it happens, as things change. And then also to be, provide guidance to, you know, the policyholders to take certain actions to prevent those risks. Those models are still emerging. And, um, you know, there, there are... The insurance company is wrestling with this. They're, they're putting together, you know, different consortiums and come up with their own risk models and things like that. But, you know, we're still very much in the formative stage, right? And we're watching this industry uh, start to take shape and I, it, it will continue to take shape, you know, over the next 10 years or so. And, and again, there's, there's a lot of, you know, companies out there that are not insured. And there's a lot of companies out there that don't, you know, would like to have more cyber insurance, but they can't get it because of the model. So all of this is going to, you know, continue to to mature over the next several years. So, so it's an interesting perspective because I, you know, I feel like there's a parallel. Like when remember when PCI compliance came out and the card brand, yeah. like 
you know, you get companies would suffer a breach and the card brands were really just looking at, okay, are we going to find them or not? And then they started to realize like that type of mindset was not putting them in the best position to serve their client base. I feel like we're at a point now in the cyber insurance market where the, the insurer, insurance companies almost have to put themselves at the same side of the risk table as mm. their insurance and, and not make it feel like, oh, maybe, you know, make the companies feel like if they go through, it's like, oh, maybe the insurance company won't pay or, you know, it kind of not be that like initial PCI compliance type of mindset. What, what are you seeing there in terms of, you know, the insurance companies making sure that they're on the same side of the risk table as, you know, their customers? Yeah, that's a that's an interesting question, and and look, look, my my experience has been that you know insurance carriers are actively trying to um, you know work with their insureds um, to you know address these risks, both both in terms of you know when the breaches occurred, you know how they how they how these companies respond, and you know most importantly, kind of get back on their feet. You know, as quick as possible. You know, an interesting dynamic here is that there's certainly the cost of a breach, right? There's a there's a, a cost for the investigation. There's a cost for potentially having to do notifications to consumers because you know your the some sensitive information has been leaked or exfiltrated. Um, but the real cost is business interruption, right? And this is what everybody wants to avoid. So you've got, you know, the obviously the business owner whose reservation systems or a small hotel are down. They can't make reservations. They can't check people into the hotels. They're losing money on a daily basis. Uh, and you have the insurance companies that, um, you know, want to want to ensure that their uh, their customers have uh, an ongoing sustainable business, right? So it's in their interest to to help you know, these companies get back on their feet as quickly as possible, A, to avoid any business interruption claims that could result from this, but B, so that they have an ongoing viable you know, customer relationship, right? And I think that you know, the more forward-leaning insurance companies get that equation and they get that you know, this is not about just how much is it gonna cost to respond to a particular breach or to do data notification, but you know, what's the long-term cost in terms of business viability and sustainability if, you know, if they don't step in and play a role in this. Um, so I, I feel like they're, you know, they're becoming very closely aligned with the interests of their insureds to, to, to make sure that there is this ongoing viability uh, of the company and companies get back on their feet as quickly as possible. Yeah. I mean, it makes perfect sense, John. So, so let me ask you this then, because I think it's, you talked a little bit about, you know, dynamic insurance, I think it was the term you use, right? And, you know, interactive insurance might be another way to put it, but like, it's almost like consumption-based or um, we'll, stick, we'll stick with the dynamic-based. So the idea that, you know, for an insurance company to have to a product that can be dynamic for you, like, I feel like there's a need for the insurance company to have visibility into your environment as it's changing, um, you know, and we had, when I was in, in an FI, we, we talked about that a bit, you know, what do you think it would take for a company to feel comfortable to give some sort of telemetry, not, you know, everyday access, but like some telemetry on a frequent basis back to the insurance company so they can update 
and have a, have a position of like a, a visibility into where we think, where they think the company is from a risk perspective. Well, there's, there's models for that, right? That exist today in insurance. I mean, you think about uh, progressive insurance and what they've done with their, I can't recall what it's, what it's called, but you know, the, the little plug-in that you put into your car that like you know, measures your driving. Car. Yeah. Measures your driving. Right. And, and then from there, they can dynamically adjust your policies. Right. And uh, so I think that, you know, you're right. There has to be some uh, way of information sharing uh, and data sharing about vulnerabilities um, that allows for not only, you know, dynamic pricing, which, you know, you could argue is, you know, good or bad and talk about the pros and cons of that, but more, I think, to inform, right, inform the policyholders about where there are vulnerabilities that could be exploited. Um, and, you know, and as that changes, right, this is, this is the interesting thing about our business, right, is that, you know, every day there is, you know, new malware or a new, um, you know, exploit that targets particular known vulnerabilities and those change over time, right? And so, you know, it's in the interest both of the insurance carrier as well as the, you know, the policyholder to ensure that they're addressing those vulnerabilities, right? And, and being aware of the threat landscape that could potentially um, put them in trouble if they don't address those vulnerabilities. So I think it's, you know, this is where this, you know, we call it a dynamic. People probably tend to think immediately about pricing, but it's really more of this kind of collective defense idea, right? It's it's how do we leverage data about what's happening in the, the threat landscape to inform the actions that should be taken by companies to help protect themselves. And, and this is particularly, you know, uh, important in the case of supply chain attacks, right? Because, you know, now you've got, if you're an insurance company, you've got portfolio risk, right? You've got, you know, potentially a large portion of your insureds um, who are at risk. So it's almost like you think about like, again, back to the hurricane metaphor, you know, I've got a concentrated investment in South Florida, right? Puts me more at risk, you know, to, to hurricanes. You know, with, with certain supply chain attacks, it's kind of a similar phenomenon, right? I've got, you know, a lot of these types of companies that are particularly vulnerable to this type of supply chain attack. That is pretty, you know, significant, you know, portfolio risk that the insurance companies have to take care of. And so if they can have a way to be able to, you know, take and understand these threats and then translate them into specific actions to their portfolio holders or your, their policy holders, not only are you helping to manage your overall portfolio risk on the part of the insurance carrier, but you're helping to prevent risk or prevent, you know, outage or downtime or what have you on the part of your policy holders. So I think it's, you know, to me, I think it's more of that kind of collective defense that we're all trying to get to where we're information sharing and taking actions and sharing, you know, best practices, you know, among companies. Yeah, that's really, it's good insight. And I think, you know, and a lot of times for these issues, a lot of folks want to point to the government, right, to help and clear the path. What, what's been your take on, you know, government's response to ransomware and then just maybe cyber and security in general under the new, you know, administration? Well, look, I think that there is, um, you know, there's a growing awareness of the threat to our you know, economic livelihood, <laughs> right, uh, in the form of, of cyber attacks. And so whether they be nation state or, or criminal actors or the like, you know, the, the exposure that we have uh, 
as a country and in our economy is significant. And I think that, you know, fortunately there are, uh, there's an awareness of that, you know, at senior levels in the administration, um, uh, you know, Biden administration, I think has brought on some pretty spectacular people, you know, you and I know Andy. Uh, and, and so we're, we're addressing this at, at, a, at a high level. Um, I think the, you know, the areas that there's opportunities in, um, I, I think are around how do we protect, Protect small, medium businesses, right? And and you know, there's a there's this kind of mindset of you know we, we don't negotiate with terrorists, we don't play ransom where we always so we don't pay ransoms and things like that, which is you know I think fine from sort of a you know a high level uh, ideological position, but there's a reality of of you know business livelihood, you know, or businesses you know livelihoods that are at stake as a result of this and. Clearly, nobody wants to pay a ransom. Nobody wants to see their business, uh, you know, being held up um, by a virtual at virtual gunpoint. But at the end of the day, if it comes down to, hey, this this is this, we're not not going to have a business, uh, or we're going to pay a ransomware. You're probably going to pay a ransomware, and that's just the reality of kind of where we are in this evolution. So I think that there needs to be. Uh, more thought that goes into, you know, the, the, the policies and the, you know, kind of the thinking behind, uh, you know, how do we collectively overcome this problem uh, and less, you know, sort of uh, sound bites around, you know, not paying ransom and things like that. There's just a, there's just a certain reality. Um, I think that, you know, again, I, I come back to this idea that we're all in this together, right? This is about, you know, a collective defense uh, of our small and medium businesses and uh, and we've got to be thinking about what are the best practices and ways to address that risk in a very uh, you know thoughtful manner. Um, and I think this is again the role that companies like ours and and you know others can play in helping to protect these small businesses. It, there's roles that insurance companies play in helping to transfer some of the risks. There's certainly roles that law firms play in helping you know, to, uh, to navigate some of the, you know, compliance or regulatory complexities. Um, but I think if we take the mindset that we're in this together and that we're not just talking about some abstract local ideas and we're talking about livelihoods and businesses, then I think we're in a better spot. Yeah, it's a really good point. Right? I mean, people, a lot of times we just talk about this stuff like tongue in cheek, right? But there's real lives at stake. People can't pay their mortgage. They're, you know, they can't pay their bills. Like people losing homes, businesses going on, you know, hospitals not being able to deliver treatment and services to patients. I mean, it just goes on and on and on and on, right? I mean, it's hitting a point where we've got to figure this out quick. Um, and, and, you know, unfortunately, the small medium businesses not only don't have the products available to them in some instances, they also don't have the infrastructure to support themselves and to defend and all that other stuff. So it's, it's just going to continue to get worse. And so I love that you're, you know, especially the president of a company that focuses very heavily on the right of boom, right? It's good to hear you. You're also thinking about the left of boom uh, for, for folks. And I know strategically you'll be dealing with that, you know, as you move forward in your new role, but man, it's um it's going to continue to be a growing problem, and I'm glad you're you're, you're able to think about these things from your seat, which is uh, which is refreshing. Um, yeah, I mean, I look, I think we've got to change the conversation here. To your point, right? It's about lives and livelihoods. You know, at the end of the day, um, and you know, we talk, we, we did a lot of work last year with small hospitals, and you just think of the impact 
of, you know, downtime on a hospital, whether it be, you know, as mundane as, you know, can't access patient records to as, you know, uh, scary as, you know, somebody might not be able to receive care as a result. Right. And it's, you know, we, this is where I think that, you know, again, the dialogue has to change. Like we've got to be thinking about how do we protect our economy in the most effective way? How do we protect people's lives and their livelihoods? Um, Because that's what really this is all about, right? This is that, you know, you can, you can, you can abstract into sort of the, you know, the technology side and the global threat landscape and sort of the existential threat and everything else. But when you bring it down to reality, it's about, you know, lives and livelihoods. And that's what we need to be talking about. No doubt. All right, John. Hey, we got to take another short break to hear from our sponsors, but don't go away, folks. We'll be right back with more from President of Airte, John Loveland. You're listening to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. In today's interconnected world, digital transformation is taking us on a journey towards exciting new ways to work, live, and communicate. In business, staying out in front of the competition means pushing the boundaries of the status quo and exploring the possibilities of the future. However, pushing forward into this fast-changing digital landscape brings a new level of uncertainty and risk that must be measured, understood, and managed. By delivering state-of-the-art cyber risk analytics, X-Analytics is setting the standard to bring business clarity to the complex cyber threats organizations face each and every day. When it comes to understanding your financial exposure to cyber risk, trust what the global cyber insurance industry and Fortune 500 companies trust. Trust X-Analytics to guide you through the uncertainty into cyber risk clarity. For more information about X-Analytics, visit our website today at x-analytics.com. That's x-analytics.com. X-Analytics, setting the standard in the enterprise cyber risk management. As CISOs manage known malware attacks, they also contend with the unknown unknowns. With 24-7 Hacker Innovation, where do CISOs place their next security investment bet? Find the answer with Signet. With forums and public and private partnership dinners in Toronto, London, Singapore, Tokyo, and across the U.S., Signet is a mission-focused, purpose-driven global community, advancing the next generation of cybersecurity solutions. As an entrepreneurial ecosystem super connector, Signet brings innovators, top cybersecurity professionals, solution providers, investors, and government executives into a collaborative alliance. Join Signet's global community to empower your organization and the industry to defeat hackers with cybersecurity's next generation of innovation. Learn more at Secure. Security-innovation.org or Google Signet S-I-N-E-T. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to Task Force 7 Radio with George Redis. If you'd like to find out more about our program, please visit the website at taskforce7radio.com. Again, that's Task Force 7 with the number 7, radio.com. Now, back to this week's show. Here again is your host, George Redis. Welcome back to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. We're back with president of Airte, John Loveland. All right, John, 
you know, you just switched roles. I know that's the thing right now. Everybody's moving around after COVID or during COVID, you know, because of their the pandemic. And I'd, I'd love to get your take on, you know, new leader into a new, you know, into a company. Um, but just how has COVID impacted the incident response workforce and how engagements are, you know, being conducted? Well, what's, what's interesting for me has been how quickly we transition to remote work, right? And so, you know, obviously the whole world transitioned to that, uh, you know, everybody working from home and things like that. But, you know, it, it, historically, as you know, Andy, you know, it was, it was boots on the ground in these incident response, right? It was, we were going in forensically imaging servers on site and doing the investigations on site and things like that. And we had to quickly pivot as did other firms in our space to, you know, remote uh, forensic collections, remote analysis. Uh, and it, uh, I, I've just been amazed by, you know, not only Airtay's ability to do that, but other firms in the space, right? How quickly we we're able to make that pivot. Uh, cybercrime didn't slow down, <laughs> right? Yeah. If anything, it increased. And, and you know, particularly the, in ransomware. And, and so we had to, uh, you know, very quickly also pivot our techniques and our methods to allow for this remote collection and continue to support clients. Um, I don't think, you know, the good news is I think it's, it's uh, created a, a better model going forward, right? It's a more cost-effective model, uh, particularly on, you know, the very small breach investigations to do, you know, remote work. Um, and so it, it makes, you know, the work we do more accessible to more companies uh, because, you know, the costs are lower. Uh, and I think it's given us the ability to, uh, you know, really do different things, right? And explore different ways of, you know, sharing the investigation with, you know, more people than just people that are on site that have different talents and different insights that can bring to bear. So I think ultimately, you know, while it was challenging for sure to transition into that remote forensic, you know, collection capability and, and remote, you know, analysis, I think ultimately it's going to be better for the industry and better for you know firms like ours to be able to to, to scale more effectively to to handle the capacity. Yeah, I love the I love that you're mentioning it's becoming more accessible. You know, I hadn't thought of it from that perspective. I think that's that's a really good good point. You know, because this stuff gets expensive fast. You know, like yeah. you know it can get it can get expensive, but it's it's a necessary you know thing, and that's why the the risk transfer piece and the cyber insurance becomes such a really cr- critical part of a company's you know risk portfolio to help them manage through these things. So so John, look, you you've you've built companies, you've led large organizations. You're now at the helm of you know an up and coming you know company that's you know taking off. You know, you kind of seen it from all these different perspectives. What what advice would you give for up and coming, you know, kind of corporate leaders or or executives? Yeah, it's interesting, Andy, to think about again the maturing of of um, of this industry broadly, the cybersecurity industry broadly. You know, it it I think it's it it's changed now in most people's minds from sort of a purely technical problem or technical challenge to really more of an enterprise risk challenge, and it, it's it's. It's interesting to me to see companies like Citibank uh, say in the New York Times that you know cyber risk is their greatest enterprise risk. You know, this is a, a company that operates you know around the world and in very tricky financial markets and things like that. Yet they say that cyber risk is their single biggest enterprise risk. Uh, and 
And as such, it needs to be thought of as an enterprise risk issue, right? So we've got to start changing again the conversation around how we talk about it. So it used to be, you know, you go out and you hire, if you're a CEO, hire the best and brightest CISO or information security team that you can and hope that they're, you know, doing their job and keeping you safe, right? Mm-hmm. Um, well, I mean, uh, hopes and prayers aren't enough anymore, right? You've, you, the, the executive team needs to take an active interest in cybersecurity, not only from a understanding of the, of the overall risks that they, that they face, but also the efficacy of the different methods and tools that are being used. Now, that doesn't mean that, you know, a CEO has to be hyper-technical when it comes to cybersecurity, but it, they should certainly be engaging in the conversations with their security team around, okay, what's the return on investment? Uh, and maybe that investment is in, in, in terms of risk mitigation that I'm going to get from these different technologies or, or, or in working with this particular service provider or uh, transferring you know, a certain amount of risk in a cyber insurance policy. Help me understand, Mr. Mrs. CISO, you know, how this is really going to overall reduce my overall risk. The other aspect of that is ensuring that security has, you know, a seat at the table early on in the process when it comes to entering new markets or creating new business lines or standing up new products. You know, a lot of times we've seen, uh, um, you know, it's traditional, I think, in the tech industry that the technology has outpaced the security. The security is always kind of playing catch up to the technology side. So whether it be migrating to the cloud, whether it be, you know, apps on phones or whatever it is, it seems like the security is, is always uh, playing second fiddle to the, to the business. And, uh, you know, I think a, a critical aspect for, you know, leaders today has to be, how do I ensure that, I'm getting the point of view for new businesses, new products, new releases, new geographies, whatever, uh, from our from our information security team, right? In- include that as part of the conversation because, again, when you start to think about cybersecurity uh, or cyber risk as a component of enterprise risk, then you're in a better position to say, okay, we've evaluated the risks. We think that you know the 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 concerns or the challenges or the issues we may face look like this, and they could potentially have this impact, then you're in a much better position to say, okay, how do we offset that risk? Or is the business case strong enough to support those risks? You're never going to eliminate all risks, right? But at the end of the day, if you can at least begin to model and understand how cyber risk can impact your returns, then, then you're in a much better position, not only to help mitigate that risk, but then also to have a conversation with your insurance carrier, right? To say, hey, look, we've looked at this. We believe and we've quantified that, you know, our exposure here looks like this. And these are the certain risks that we're likely to face. We've taken these steps to mitigate that risk, but we still feel like there is a portion of risk that we can't mitigate. We want to transfer that. That is a much more, uh, uh, I I think, uh, informed and better conversation with your insurance carrier than, uh, you know, sort of the open-ended, we don't know, we don't know about our risks. We're worried and we just want somebody to come in and help us, you know, cover and write a policy around it. Yeah, That obviously at the end of the day is not going to get you what you need in terms of, you know, risk transfer. So, you know, embrace, embrace the idea and the concept of cyber risk as a component of enterprise risk. Look to apply some of those same models that you applied in the enterprise risk context and bring 
the conversation around cybersecurity earlier into the evaluation of, of, you know, new businesses and new products and things like that. Yeah, John, well, look, I, I love that perspective. I mean, it's so true. I mean, having been in the CISO seat before, it's like, you know, I, I don't never wanted my team to refer to the, you know, anyone outside of security as the business, right? We're all part of the business. Like we're just a component of it and we should be informing real bis- business decisions from, from the security seat. Um, well, hey, man, like I really appreciate you coming on the show tonight. Thank you so much, John. Yeah, thank you, Andy. It's always a pleasure. Uh, really appreciate the opportunity. Yeah, buddy. We'll do it again soon after you've had a little more time in, in your role. We'll get you back on here again. All right, folks, it's time for us to bounce up and out of here. Before I go, I want to remind our listeners to visit the Cybersecurity Hub to get a recap of tonight's show and get other up-to-date cybersecurity breaking news at cshub.com. That's the Cybersecurity Hub at cshub.com. Hey, folks, don't forget to get that your new pair of TF7 sneakers, man. Aliveshoes.com slash brand slash TF7. They're super comfortable. Go get a pair. Thanks for tuning in. You're listening to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. Stay frosty out there. Thank you for tuning in this week to Task Force 7 Radio. To learn more about Task Force 7 Radio, please visit our website at taskforce7radio.com. Be sure to join your host, George Reedus, again next Monday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel.